Blog Talk Radio. November 21st, 2012. I'm John Corey. Welcome into the show. Special edition of Status Radio Plan, Blog Talk Radio. There'll also be simulcast on mtrradio.com later in the night. The main purpose of tonight's show is to preview two very important local high school football games. The Erie Bell game will take place tomorrow at 11 a.m. in Middletown, New York, between the Middletown Bears and the Port Jervis Red Raiders. That will lead into Saturday's battle in DV between the Delaware Valley Warriors and Parkland Part 2 as they begin the state tournament part of the uh, postseason. My guest tonight will be Kevin Halpenny. He'll join the show in a little bit. But until then, let's get into some things that's going on right now. What can you say about the New York Knicks? They went again last night in New Orleans. They make it look easy. I mean easy. They basically sat the starters out in the fourth quarter. Tyson Chandler had 12 rebounds in 18 minutes. Melo did it again, another 20-plus point game. And the Knicks did exactly what a good basketball team should do. You take the lesser teams. You beat them down, you get out of town, and you move on to tonight's game in Dallas. And tonight's matchup in Dallas will be a tough battle for him. But the Knicks are playing great basketball at the moment. What more can you say about them? The Nets, however, had a tough one in L.A. Uh, they decided to do a hack-a-shack to Dwight Howard the last couple minutes of the game, and by all accounts, it took the flow out of the game. The Nets played a very good basketball game until everything got bogged down by the hack of Dwight. And you all know my feelings about Dwight Howard. I do not think he's a good basketball player. He's a hell of an athlete. He's seven feet tall. He is coming off a back injury, and he has not been the same guy early on this season, and that does not surprise me. Let's see. There was some Mets news to get to. It looks like they're going to put Zach Wheeler on the 40-man roster. It looks like the Mets did their typical, I'm going to make a crappy offer to our prize uh, free agents. Actually, they're not free agents yet, but David Wright and R.A. Dickey. The Mets have made offers to both. 
both have basically been thrown right back in their face. And that's just typical Met baseball right there. The Mets have these people that are at the heart of their ball club, and they just don't know how to treat them correctly. And you know if the Mets have to lose one or both of those guys, the fan base is going to rebel like they never rebelled before. But without further ado, I'm going to bring in my guest at this time. He is the play-by-play voice of both the Delaware Valley Warriors and the Port Jervis Red Raiders, even though he won't be calling the DB game this weekend. He's been along for the ride with the Delaware Valley postseason. He's got the Erie Bell game tomorrow. Let's bring in from WYNY and WDLC, Kevin Halpenny. Kevin, welcome to the show. Hey, John. Starting to feel like a second home here. Thanks for having us on again. Well, uh, is Craig with you? Actually, as soon as I said the word us, I, I, I was like, that's probably a little misleading. Craig is uh, at the moment not able to join me. I uh, told him to give you a call later if he has time, um, but at the moment Craig is uh, not available to join us. But he will be there on Saturday in Milford. Perfect. Now, let's go backward before we work forward. We talked a week ago about what Delaware Valley had to do to beat Scranton. And at the top of the list was score. Second was score again. Third was score again. And fourth was hope the defense would hold up. I don't think there was any one of the three of us that thought Delaware Valley's defense would play the game that they did. Uh, Tell me a little bit about your thoughts of the defensive effort in the game against Scranton. I'm stunned. I mean, I was excited to see what was happening for sure. But you you couldn't have said it better, John. Nobody who has followed the two teams expected that. The stat that I love to tell people is that Scranton, prior to the Delaware Valley win, which was 27-16 DV, Scranton had not scored less than 34 points in any of their previous 11 games, and Delaware Valley held them to less than half of that. It was really remarkable. The Warriors' uh, five-man defensive front was just a force. They made made life very difficult for Marlon Waiters, the Scranton quarterback. They didn't allow themselves to get beat by Jake McCarthy, the uh, speedy tailback, although there was one play, John, where McCarthy, he's a sophomore, and he takes a delayed handoff, and he just paused in the backfield. And I think under any other circumstances as a coach, you would just be livid that your back just stops dead in his tracks. But for whatever reason he was motivated to do that, he then tore off like a 27-yard run after that. Like he just, It was like he was waiting for the right hole to open. He's going to be just remarkable, but he was held in check. And um, and then you know, we mentioned the, the job the defensive line did in pressuring Marlon Waiters, the quarterback, and they really did a great job in the defensive secondary to shut down Carlin Quiller. He had one long touchdown, vintage Waiters to Quiller, deep bomb, run away from everybody. But other than that, Quiller was really not a factor in the game whatsoever. Well, McCarthy, Quiller, and Waiters were all banged up in the game. Am I correct? I mean, yeah, they got they got hit around quite a bit. Delaware Valley played very physical. Well, now, 
if being football, you know, things do happen, the, the reality is Delaware Valley should have won that game by three touchdowns. The turnovers, I don't know what was more amazing, the defensive effort or all the turnovers and, and misplays by the Delaware Valley offense in any other circumstance, they would be sitting at home right now. What were your thoughts when DV kept driving and fumbling? That this game was going to get away from them, that we were going to see a team that was poised to continue their special season and derail themselves, and instead the resolve that put Delaware Valley in a position to beat Parkland in week one, uh, to beat Whitehall in the first round of the playoffs, that's the Delaware Valley team that showed up, and I talked to um, I talked to Joe Eitner, who plays on both sides of the line for Delaware Valley, about the fumbles afterwards, and and he said, you know what, we're a family, a football family, and they got on each other, but it wasn't the, it wasn't like a breakdown, you know, it was more of a you know, hey, let's rally the troops and let's everybody get you know our focus back and. You know, there were some comments made after the game about, you know, what was going on there because Delaware Valley does not fumble five times in the game. You know, Delaware Valley doesn't turn the ball over a lot in general, and they don't fumble a lot. And I heard that the Under Armour that most of the players were wearing because it was cold, the Under Armour itself was getting slick. So they were starting to just cut those sleeves off in the second half. And... um you know, there was the the last fumble, which kind of, you know, told the story and, and really gave you the impression that DV was destined to win. Uh, I believe the fumble was by Brian Shore, and it, well, he fumbled forward right into the arms of uh, of his right guard, Hugo Coelho. And Coelho, who was up ahead blocking, you know, was able to hold on to it and, uh, and prevent another turnover. Craig was calling it the you know Delaware Valley's own immaculate reception, uh, and it really it, it just kind of prevented Scranton from getting back into the game because they they could have I think they only got seven points off of those those three uh, fumbles, which shows that the effort and the job that the defense did. I mean, you know you you almost can't put into words. They, you would think that the effort that they put into that game, they would have pitched a shutout. But what they did was almost better. And like you said, seven points off five turnovers is almost inconceivable. And, you know, moving forward, that has to give you a lot of hope in terms of what can happen this weekend against Parkland if the defense can give you that kind of effort in that kind of game. Well, they're going to have to because this Parkland offense is like Scranton times two. And by that I mean for every for every big-time playmaker that Scranton has, your Carlin Quiller, your Marlon Waiters, your your uh, McCar- Joe McCarthy, Parkland has two guys like that. They, I think I read somewhere that they are on the verge. I think they're 16 yards away from having three separate 1,000-yard rushers. I mean, which is amazing. That's, that's unfathomable. Three kids to run for over a thousand yards—that's that's unheard of. They that, have been that's beating something the that you, out of everybody they've played. 
Yeah, I mean that that's something that you see on, on Madden football. I mean that that's no matter Video what game. level of football, yeah, no matter what level of football you're playing, you know, three thousand yard rushers is incredible. Now, the good thing moving into this weekend is, you know, I, I mentioned last week that I thought the familiarity might hurt DV against Scranton. Clearly, I was wrong. This is a case, as we move forward, that this is, by all accounts, a different Parkland team than they saw the first game of the year, a game that was as wild and crazy as any game that DV has played all year. Yeah, it was a, a kind of a scaled-down version of the uh, the Whitehall game. Um, you know, the thing with the Scranton matchup, the Delaware Valley was so motivated to win that game. And, you know, they'll be motivated to win on Saturday as well, but the shoe's kind of on the other foot for Delaware Valley. They won the first meeting between these two teams. It's very hard to beat a good team twice. And this is a, a good team that is much better than they were in the first week of the season. Um, so Delaware Valley has their work cut out for them. They'll be at home. Um, Parkland's got a long ride ahead of them that's going to start early in the morning on Saturday because it's a 1 o'clock kickoff. Uh, you know, so it's a little out of their routine, but that's a minor detail that a good football team will overcome. Uh, you know, we talked a lot last week about how Delaware Valley, um, you know, they haven't played that full 48-minute four-quarter quality game, and they're going to need to do that this week. They can't have the three-fumble third quarter. They can't have spotting a team 14 points in the first three minutes like they did in their first two playoff games. They really have to play a complete football game from start to finish. Uh, they are going to need a heck of an effort from the defense. Their offense, uh, Parkland's a real good run-stopping defense, and Delaware Valley's going to have to find a way to move the ball on the ground against Parkland because they want to keep Parkland's offense off the field as much as they can. And they've got, you know, besides Joe Santiago and Martin Strength, you've got Brian Shore, who's a good running quarterback, and you've got Ryan McGowan, who's a good fullback that they're going to need to use uh, to move the chains and, and keep the you know keep the defense off the field and keep Parkland's offense likewise off the field. A key thing you said was the running ability of Brian Shore. He has the ability to turn a, a no play into a positive play. And I yep. think he and the offense will have a, a big bounce pack performance this weekend. The one stat you want to see if DB is going to advance is a zero in the turnover column. If they have two, three turnovers again, and, and more than that, forget it. But if they have two or three turnovers again, I think you're looking at a bad day in Milford. Yeah, they got to keep the ball. They got to win the turnover battle, and they've got they've got guys who do it. Last week they had two interceptions against Scranton uh, with Corey Savarese and Lucas Marquez, who both have multiple interceptions this year. So they've got guys who can turn the other team over, and and that will be very helpful. But I think it's more important to do what you said, and that is to not turn the ball over when Delaware Valley has the ball. And we're talking, I mean, you know, we are talking about high school kids, but the fact is they are at a point in their season, that obviously uncharted territory. You know, no team has even won a playoff game, let alone get to this point. What do you think the mood of the team will be 
going into Saturday? Do you think there'll be a lot of nerves, or do you think there'll be a lot of excitement? You know, you've been around them all year. What do you think the, the mood of the team will be? I will steal the phrase that I heard from Keith Olsomer, the head coach, and Joe Eitner, the aforementioned offensive and defensive lineman. I think they will be playing – they will be ready to play fast and focused football. I think the mood will be focused, and I think that's what they will that's what they will be prepared to do on Saturday. Well, the last couple of weeks we talked about the mood of the community in terms of them following the team around, the excitement around the team. And two weeks ago, we assumed that the atmosphere in Milford was going to be insane for the first playoff game, and it never really had a chance to get off the ground with all the craziness at the beginning. This Saturday, I think the best thing DB could do would be, A, get Parkland the ball first, but let the crowd get into the game a little bit. I think DB can use their, their crowd Saturday for not so much motivation. I think they can use the crowd to get themselves into a good tempo, to maybe get Parkland on their heels a little bit. I think the key thing early would be, for DB to get Parker on their heels, however they need to do that. What do you think of that? Yeah, I mean, I if DB wins the toss, they're going to defer. That's what they do. And I don't think you could set a better tone than to cover the first kick good and get a three and out. If you can get a three and out, it's going to be a huge start. Um, from what I understand, there's going to be between five and 6,000 people at Warrior Stadium. That's a lot. Uh, it's not often that in in one season you have four times in one season the biggest game, you know, in, in at that stadium ever. That's the case, that was the case for the season opener. That was the case then for the Scranton game, and then that game got um, kind of upstaged in in implications by the first playoff game. It didn't have quite the crowd and electricity that the Scranton game had, but it, it certainly was the biggest game at uh, Warrior Stadium when they hosted Whitehall, and now this game is the new biggest game uh, that Delaware Valley has ever hosted. So uh, there's certainly a lot of uh, gravity to that, and if they can come out and they win the toss and they get the ball, or they uh, you know defer and they give Parkland the ball and they can stop them and force a Parkland punt, I think that's going uh, to do a lot towards putting the crowd into the game and getting them loud. Now, you mentioned kickoff coverage. You know, if there is something that's been an Achilles heel, it's been special teams for DV. You know, DV, a lot of times, has allowed big plays with broken tackles. They have to make sure they wrap up. They most importantly have to make sure that nobody returns a kickoff on them. Yeah, they're susceptible, and, and they typically get better as the game goes on, but they need to be good from the get-go Saturday. Absolutely, absolutely. And the one, if there's any compliment I could give the coaching staff, it would be this. You know, the team came into the season with high expectations. You know, as the undefeated streak went on, the expectations built. Like you mentioned, first game against Strand, biggest game. Second game, you know, first playoff game at home, next biggest game, and so on and so on. The team has taken the expectations and embraced them. I really believe that that is a tribute to the coaching staff. 
What do you think about that? Oh, I mean, they, they're outstanding. They, uh, you can just tell by the way that the kids are prepared to play in these games and, and the way that they have responded to these, uh, you know, to these tough situations they've been in, that, that, that they're very well coached. It's very obvious. Well, brass tacks, how do you see the game going Saturday? What's your prediction? Well, since I'm calling, not calling the game, I feel a little bit more comfortable making a prediction. But I think the, I think the game is going to be high scoring, um, like the first game against Whitehall. And I think even though that's not a great situation for Delaware Valley, I think they they prefer a low scoring game. I think they can win a high scoring game. I think they're gonna, I think they're gonna take it 44-41. Wow, <laughs> 44-41, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so we'll we'll say that you expect the Delaware Valley defense to be an aberration. <laughs> I just think that they're. I just think this Parkland team is very very good, but I think Delaware Valley can can uh, can beat them. Real quick, let's touch on the game that you're calling tomorrow in Middletown, the the uh, Erie Bell game, the game that's been going since 1897 between Port Jervis and Middletown. Both teams have had a down year. Um, I'm looking at today's newspaper, and I see poor Jervis wearing these ugly black helmets. Somebody would have to explain that to me. But, you know, real quick, what's your synopsis, if any, on the Bell game tomorrow? Court hasn't beaten Middletown in Middletown since 2006. Uh, this will be the third time they played at Fowler Field, and Middletown won the first two. Um I think this is a, a Middletown team that's better than they were a year ago, and that team hung with Port pretty well. Um, but they're still they're still down, uh, and I think Port is is going to be very pumped up. This booster club, the Red and Black Touchdown Club that started last year, I think has done an incredible job to lift morale both in the community around the team and on the team. I think they are ready to play. I think they're ready to win the Bell game at Middletown. I think that's very important to the senior class. They haven't kept the Bell since the uh since the 07 oh no check that since the 06 07 uh series. And I think they are ready to uh I think they're ready to get that streak going again. I think Port wins this one 20 to 12. Well, it's definitely not 44-41. But I have no doubt. If you live in Port Jervis, if you're going to the game, it starts 11 a.m. tomorrow at Fowler Field in Middletown. You know, Port Jervis, led by Matt Smith, a quarterback, will try to, to keep the bell home as they go into Middletown to face the, the Bears. And, you know, it would be a good thing. It would be a good jumping-off point for the program. Like you said, the Red and Black Club, you know, the senior class, it would be the um, class that's allegedly coming in that, that there's high hopes for. It would be a good jumping-off point for that entire program if they could go to Middletown and get it done tomorrow. It would be. It would be important. Uh, and like I said, they haven't won it in back-to-back years since 06, 07. So they're due, and I think they're ready. I think between the uh, – Rushing ability of of Matt Smith and Dan DiCarlo. I think uh, I think they're going to be able to put on enough points, and their defense 
which is also led by Tan DiCarlo, who is just a monster at linebacker. I think they're going to get it done and, and hold Middletown in check. If it's anything like last year, I'll be happy because it's a broadcaster's dream to call a game that's that exciting. Um, but I think Port wins it again this year. It would be a great thing, and if they wear these black helmets that they're practicing in, um, they should be boycotted. They've worn, they've worn said, them all year. They've worn them all year. They introduced new helmets this year to matte finish. Oh, did they? Yeah. Well, that's an old year, picture all, I'm looking at. What what, what, me, what is going on over right there? What, what, what's going on with black helmets? They're the Red Raiders. Not anymore. They're just the Raiders. <laughs> A lot of things have changed. Just the Raiders. <laughs> I think they're just trying to kind yeah. of just, you know, mix it up a little bit. They've had some down years lately, uh, and they, they're trying to kind of get things turned back around in a uh, in a winning direction. And I think this is a, these are all just little pieces to that puzzle. Yeah, 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 I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm just not sold <laughs> on them. Well, what what can you say? I I, I like what I know. I like what I know. I but with that being said, I'm gonna let you get out of here. Have a good Thank broadcast you, tomorrow morning. Yeah, happy Thanksgiving Thank you. to you and your family as well. You'll be on um, 1077 WDLC tomorrow morning. 10:30 pregame. Correct. 10.30 pregame. Yep. They'll be live from Middletown. It'll be Kevin and Tom Faggione on the call. And, Kevin, have a good Thanksgiving. Hopefully both teams get wins, and we'll be in touch after the weekend. Happy Thanksgiving, John. Thanks for all the uh, attention you've given our broadcast. We appreciate it. No problem. That's Kevin Haltoni. He's the voice of the Port Jervis Red Raiders. Also, has called a lot of the Delaware Valley Warrior games this year along their playoff run. He'll have the call tomorrow morning beginning at 1030 at Fowler Field in Middletown on 1077 WDLC. You can get WDLC on the TuneIn radio app, search WDLC, or WDLC.com if you want to listen to the game if you can't make it, if you've got your turkey in the oven, whatever the case may be. Also, Saturday, 1 o'clock, 12.30 pregame on 106.9 YNY will be the Delaware Valley Parkland game. Twelve thirty pregame, 1 o'clock kick, Delaware Valley Parkland, the next biggest game in Delaware Valley Warrior history. And it'll be a very interesting weekend in local football. I'll spend my last couple of minutes here talking about both games. You know, as you can tell, I don't know much about the Port Jervis program right now. I know they're still on the downslope. I know they have a big class coming in that they're very excited about. But when you have a Middletown team that's 2-6, and six, a Middletown program that in a lot of respects is in the same position as Port Jervis, you know, just talking to certain people in the program, you get the feeling that Port is going to find a way to, to keep the bell. And they're at a point in their program where they may be able to keep it for a long time. And that's good for the community. That's a, a very good thing for the, the football program. That's a thing they put on a pedestal in Port Jervis. Obviously, you would like them to be putting Section 9 championships on there. 
but you kind of take what you can get. You know, not knowing anything about anything, I'm going to make an educated guess. I'm going to say Port wins. I'm going to say Port wins 18 to 12. 18 to 12, I'll take Port. And I don't know if I'm into such a crazy game as Kevin is regarding the Delaware Valley Parkland game. I think Delaware Valley finds a way to get it done. I do think, unfortunately, Parkland will give them a nice right hook early. And Delaware Valley will try to find their way back. And I think they'll get it done. I do think it'll be the Delaware Valley defense to get it done again. Are they going to hold them under 30? I think it'll be close. I think you're looking at 34, 28, something in that area. DV Parkland, I think DV's going to win and move on. I think it's just that kind of a magical run for that program, for this community, for, for that football team. So I'm going to take the locals. I'm going to take Port Jervis, 18-12. I'm going to take Delaware Valley, 34-28 as my high school picks for the week. Before I get out of here, I want to talk about a little NFL. I'll give you a quick little NFL picks for tomorrow. Detroit-Houston, Washington-Dallas Jets-Patriots, three good matchups if you're sitting around eating turkey, watching football all day. You know, Houston-Detroit, they have some injury woes for that game. Jonathan Joseph may not play for Houston. That's a big deal in their secondary, especially going against Calvin Johnson. Houston's only a three-point favorite. They're on the road on Thanksgiving in a spot they've never been in before. I'm going to take Detroit in an upset. I'm going to take the Lions. I'm going to take the three. I'm going to take the Lions as my first pick for Thanksgiving. Next, you have Dallas and Washington. Dallas, as evident by their game against Cleveland last weekend, shows once again they are not a good home team. RG3 coming back to Texas. He's going to be fired up. I do think that the Redskins have a big shot in this game. But I think Tony Romo and the Cowboys find a way to get it done. I like the number of three and a half. I'm going to take the Cowboys at 430 as my second pick in the night game. Patriots-Jets. And last week, I didn't think the Jets had a chance in the world. I thought the Rams would blow the Jets out. I thought the only fun the Jets would have would be a Tebow touchdown pass, which can't happen if he's not on the field. I think New England's going to try to get rid of the Jets once and for all. I know the Jets playing well at home. I know you're talking about Thanksgiving night, but you are talking national TV. You are talking Patriots-Jets. You are talking that high-powered offense. I have a hard time seeing how the Jets are going to win. I'm going to take the Patriots, giving six and a half. So my Thanksgiving picks. Lions, plus three. Cowboys, giving three and a half. Patriots, giving six and a half. And then I'm taking Middletown, 
No, I'm sorry, I'm taking Port Jervis over Middletown, 1812, and Delaware Valley over Parkland, 34-28, as my Thanksgiving weekend picks right here on Status Radio. That's going to do it for me tonight. Thank you all for listening to this special edition of Status Radio. The show will be posted on mtrradio.com backslash John Corey. It will be posted on the Status Radio Facebook page, as well as some other places that you'll see throughout the night. You can also listen to the show back on the link to Blog Talk Radio backslash Status Radio if you want to check it out there. Thank you all again for listening. I'll talk to you Friday night at 11 on mtrradio.com. This is John Corey. That is in Status Radio, and I'm out.